I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. All right, now it's time for a brand new addition to our regular segment, Way to Go and Room to Grow. Today, I have uh, two really awesome guests who are going to be with me from now on. I mean, hopefully, if I don't scare them off or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves now. Just give your uh, your name, your pronouns, where you're from, and what your connection with kids is. Um, thanks for having us, Seth. <laughs> I'm Crystal Sunshine, and I'm in the Bay Area, Petaluma, California, and my pronouns are she, hers, and I have a six and a half year old son, and I work with Rebecca. Uh, we co-founded Shift Book Box together. My name is Rebecca Hackmeyer. My pronouns are she, her. And I currently reside in Petaluma, California, which I would like to acknowledge um, is the uh, territory of the Great and Rancheria and Coastal Miwok, traditionally. Um, I am the proud co-founder of Shift Book Box with Crystal Sunshine, and I am the mother of a five-year-old kindergartner, almost kindergartner. My connection with kids, um, I'm a longtime educator. working toward a doctorate in education currently at UC Berkeley. And I also hold a master's in children's literature from um, Simmons College in Boston. And I'm happy to be here today. But anyway, so tell me a little bit more about Shift Book Box and why, uh, why, why are you guys here? Why do you know so much about books? Tell me. So Shift Book Box is a monthly subscription book box service. And we cater to children three to eight years old We curate book selections based on monthly themes of relating to social justice issues, and we um, package those books with discussion guides that help you go deeper into the content of the books and then also make uh, it easier for parents to have dinner table and car conversations relating to the topics. Uh, Rebecca, did you have anything to add to that or... Um, well, personally, I just found myself really excited by the by the project because it kind of exists at the intersection of parenting and education and children's literature and social justice, which are kind of my four passions in life. So working on this has, has given me the opportunity um, with Crystal to kind of uh, evolve our, my own understanding of social justice issues and also... Um, evolve my own awareness of kind of the best children's books that are available to talk about these things, as well as the gaps in the, in the publishing world. Um, so it's just been really exciting to then be able to go back to those, those parenting groups on Facebook and in, in, in real life as well, um, armed with even kind of more um, relevant information. Our, our theme for uh, this week was invisible disabilities. Um, and so we're talking a little bit about um, just all kinds of different disabilities that maybe you necessarily can't tell by looking at folks. Like, for example, I have narcolepsy. You would not look at me and be like, narcolepsy. Um, I mean, unless I wore a shirt that I have narcolepsy. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Um, but so things like that, um, which I actually found a little bit trickier as far as finding books. Um, because, right, I think especially in a medium that is very visual, 
uh, it's it's harder, right, to have incidental inclusion or things like that of things that are invisible. Um, and I also found personally a lot of books that were about uh, more neurodivergence um, things and mental health, which I which while they absolutely can be considered disabilities, I wanted to focus. Um, I'm doing that topic separately. I was I was finding it a little like I was finding a lot of mental health related stuff. I think the lines are also blurry because um, just like with many things, it's it's a large part self-identifying, right? So like there are many people who don't identify as having disabilities or people who do. Like it took me um, until I was in my 20s till I even realized it was an option for me as someone with ADHD to identify as having a disability. Um, I didn't realize that like because I grew up with parents who were always like, you can do whatever you want if you put your mind to it. And I was like, oh, actually, like, I have challenges. And like, there are certain things that I'm not going to be able to do the same way that other people, you know, things like that. Um, but anyway, so I guess I'll, I'll just go first. Um, the, the book that I ended up settling on, uh, it's called The Black Book of Colors. And it's by Menina Cotton. I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly. Just in general, if I'm ever not cr- pronouncing something correctly and someone knows, please just tell me, tweet at me, do whatever you do with the internet to let me know things. Um, because I'm mostly just guessing. Uh, but anyway, I... I've stumbled upon this book and this full disclosure, this is one that I have not had my hands on. I have read it via YouTube videos, um, but it's a book that I would love to have my hands on because it's a very tactile book. Essentially it's a book um, that describes colors without using pictures of colors um, without using the colors themselves. It's all black and white and the book is in Braille and also textured. So it's uh, made with the intention for, to sort of, be used for people who are either blind or have, um, you know, different, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Visual, who can give me that word? Impairment. Thank you. Um, Mm -hmm. impairments or things like that. I don't know if there's a better, better word. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's, it's either used to help describe those like colors and things to those kinds of folks or, um, used to help give that experience to folks who can't see um, or don't have visual impairments. And so everything is like textured and there's braille and the words sort of describe um, describe the colors, uh, which I thought was kind of neat as far as, because I think, I mean, blindness can be visible or an invisible disability, um, depending, because some folks use things like kings and stuff like that, uh, or they might wear glasses or things like that. Um, but I think that it was kind of it was kind of neat. It was the first time that I saw a book that sort of like gave an experience um, to a kid in terms of like, this is what it might be like, and, and sort of giving that like empathy and understanding, which I really like that idea of. I... Um, so I think that's sort of my way to go for this book is I've never, I've seen exhibits and things, um, that do things like that, but I've never seen a book before that was sort of like giving that kind of experience to a kid or trying to give that experience. Um, my room to grow is more for like books in general. Like I would love to see more books like that or books with like even more texture, like they had yarn for hair or like things like I've seen them do things like that at art exhibits where they have a textured version of the art piece. Um, and I would love to see more books like that. Uh, cause I think that would be really cool. Right. Or it's something that we see in board books, mm-hmm. like this idea that only very, very young children can appreciate kind of that, um, tactile yeah. experience, um, rather than embracing the idea that it is, um, 
something that can benefit like folks of all ages. Yeah. I mean, I love those are my some of my favorite books. I love the kids books where everything's like crinkly. They have those that series. There's like a million of them. The like, have you seen mine or like where's right? So, this is not my tractor. Or, this is not. Yeah. Mine. And then each yeah. like that's not my tractor. The wheels are too bumpy. That's not my tractor. The lights are too shiny, and like each thing is a textured thing. Uh, right. I love those books. They're so fun. <laughs> my my um, I've seen this book not in person as well. I would like to. Um, my question would be. Who is it written for, too? Like, is this a book for, is it equally as beneficial to blind people as it is for sighted people? Like, and is that a kind of hole that needs to be filled still? Or how are how is this book and other books like it perceived in the blind community? Is yeah. it for sighted people or is it also for blind people is it an own voices book that i do not know i was not able to find out um you you guys seem like better researchers than me you might <laughs> have better luck finding that out um but uh i when i was reading about it it seemed like i didn't read anything uh, at, at least i'm not sure if what i was reading was from the author's perspective or not or if it was being written about the book but i was reading um that it seemed like the intention was for both uh, basically for anyone to be able to benefit from the book, but I don't know if it was written specifically for one of those groups and then like, oh, also it could be helpful to the other one. Um, I haven't, I wasn't able to find anything where the author was saying one way or the other. But yeah, that's a great question. And if anyone has an answer to that question, please give it to me. <laughs> Since what I love about podcasting, I could just be like, tell me the answer. And then people will tweet at me and tell me the answer. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to, um, in this moment, I haven't seen this book either, um, just remind people that if you live near a public library, you can always generally request that your library purchase titles. So if you're hearing about books that you're interested in and don't want to purchase yourself or would like to put into the general fold of what's available in your community, you can just spend two hours asking your library to purchase diverse books and then they will have yeah. them in their permanent collection. And also a lot of times, this is not something that I realized until I was, you know, older, but that you can do interlibrary loans a lot of times so they can get them from other libraries who might have the books. It's always nicer to have, you know, to request that they be put in the permanent collection. But if you really want to get your hands on something and you can't do it that way, trying to get interlibrary loans is always an awesome resource too. Man, I just have to for a minute say, I don't know if this is all of Canada or if it's Montreal, libraries here, you can rent instruments, including full keyboards. You can rent, okay. You um, you can rent uh, board games, video games. They have art hives, so you could just go and make art. There's a sewing machine. There's all kinds of materials, and you just go there and make art for free. That's and amazing. Like, libraries here are like my wife was so jaded because she just grew up here, and she was she thought it was so funny. I was like, the library is so great. <laughs> I have a good friend who's a librarian and moved to Alaska, and there, um, the library in Anchorage had all these animals you could check out that were in like animals like oh my gosh. like dead animals but like they're like yeah. 
parts that were in like what I recognize as when there's like a book with a audio component that they'll be in those like uh Ziploc bags with a hanger on them but there are all these like <laughs> Uh uh it's just like so interesting like how libraries across the world catalog these kinds of things too or how do they reflect the culture that they're within or around you know yeah right that they're within which they're situated i was in toronto for the um for an academic conference back in may and i got the pleasure of um, finding and visiting the Osborne collection mm-hmm. of early child, early children's books, which is this amazing little like museum of, of children's books um, that they put on wonderful exhibits at the Toronto Public Library. Um, yeah. So yeah, can, go, Canada. Go, Canada. go Canada. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. <laughs> I chose the book Yuko Chan and the Daruma Doll by Sunny Siki. Sunny Seki, we should check to see how that's correctly pronounced. And this book is bilingual, so it's also written in Japanese characters, and the illustrations are really beautiful. It's about this orphan blind girl who lives at the Daruma Temple. Daruma was the father of Zen Buddhism, and her she lives in a village which is recovering from a natural disaster of a volcano. And she ends up being the kind of hero of the story where after she falls off a cliff, she uh, is remembering this Zen Buddhist principle. If you fall seven times, you must pick yourself up eight times. And she thinks like, what if I made a doll that would come upright every time it fell over? And she ends up monetizing that idea and creating these dolls that end up uh, saving the village from the economic burden or surviving from this disaster. So the, is this, is this based on a true story or is this? Uh, that is a great question. I did not research that. I think that it's fiction only because I researched the book and didn't come across anything that suggested it was a true story, but I could be wrong. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was a really beautiful story and that it, what I liked about it is that it held up Yuko Chan as the character who was responsible for coming up with the idea and enacting the idea that ends up saving the village. So kind of turning that idea on its head of that the person with a disability in the culture or community is the person who, um, needs more from that community, and she ends up being the person who actually saves the community on her from her own center of power and accord, which I think is really cool. The criticism that I have found about it through my research was that it kind of characterizes the idea of a blind person in certain ways. Mm-hmm. She kind of hobbles around with a cane and um, has a way about her that could be considered as just feeling like a caricature of a blind person. Um, And also, again, there's that complication of do we center people in stories that have disabilities 
and show like, look at how this person with a disability saved the village? Or um, is there a way to integrate people from all walks of life and races and genders and with specific challenges in a way that doesn't isolate their experience as being problematic, so to speak? Wondering if it was like, if it's centered around like, oh, they have a disability, but they were still so productive and did this thing, you know? Right. It kind of feels like that's the message. Um, But also is the complication, right? Is it's important to feature main characters who experience disability or who are female or who are queer. Um, and that really the story isn't about her blindness. It, it is kind of a side part of the story. Um, it does seem to be part of the kind of allegory. Um, I have done research and this does appear to be fiction. I did a research on Great. the word of the Quick direction. research. Yes. Not thorough research, but research. <laughs> It's called, it's like daruma.com. So it seems pretty mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. It's a history and I don't see that mentioned mm-hmm. anywhere. I do see one with Hello Kitty in it instead of the little Daruma though. That's adorable. <laughs> with Hello Kitty as what? Like Hello Kitty and the Daruma face. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's Japan. Um, I love them some Hello Kitty. <laughs> Um, yeah, I thought that this book was also beautiful for just bringing more books into our library and culture that reflect other cultures. Yeah. Um, they're like visual elements of Japan and having the bilingual Japanese characters in the book. I thought it was really beautiful. I think regardless of what the, you know, right, if we're talking about this as a book about um, a disability, there's still, like, I love books that have intersectionality. Um, and I think intersectionality is so important where it's like, yeah, it, we can be talking about another country, someone who's from, you know, another country and has a disability at the same time and is also a woman or is also, you know, all of, like, like people, I think characters should be layered. And I... I think that, you know, I love seeing that in books where it's not just one note. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that um, the Daruma doll in my current research is, is a historical Japanese article, um, or it's like a famous doll from Japan. It's a hollow round Japanese traditional doll modeled after... Bodhidharma, who's the founder of Zen, tradition of Buddhism. And I know they have something to do with wishes. They're considered a toy by some, but they have a design that's rich in symbolism and is regarded more as a talisman of good luck to the Japanese. They're seen as a symbol of perseverance and good luck. So it's cool. Um, and what's that source? That is sourced from Wikipedia, which we all know is not like the best of sources. Right. <laughs> I like that Rebecca, Rebecca called me out on that, though. <laughs> Why did I think we're, if we're quoting something, we should provide the source. Um, there's also domordoruma.com is the history of 
Japanese wishing dolls. So the author was cited in this book for coming up with a story to sort of explain the symbolism of the Daruma doll as the symbol of perseverance and good luck. Cool. I will never use Wikipedia as a source again, and at least in your presence, Rebecca. <laughs> I might do it. I might do it at a party, but I'm not going to do it around you. <laughs> I was not judging the source. I just wanted to provide it in case our listeners wanted to follow up and do some investigating themselves. Um, so, I for my book recommendation for the theme of invisible disabilities, I did choose um, more of a neurodiverse disability. Um, I chose the book Virginia Wolf with one F, and it's written by Keo McClear and illustrated by Isabel Arsenault, and it was published by Kids Can Press in 2012. Um, and so, um, Author Keo McClear says that uh, she saw the relationship between real-life sisters Vanessa and Virginia Woolf. Um, Vanessa was a famous artist and Virginia was a famous author. Um, It's a chance to take both a literal and metaphoric look at depression. And so in this book... Mm. um, it kind of works on multiple levels, um, as the author has has commented on as well, because um, superficially, it's the story of two sisters, one who is having a very kind of bad day, and one who would like to cheer her sister up. Um, and those who are familiar with Virginia Woolf and Vanessa Woolf can also see kind of the historical elements at play in the text as well. Um, and so... Uh, in the story, Virginia is having a bad day. She has shown primarily in silhouette and she has big wolf ears and kind of a big growly wolf face. Um, and the illustrator uses color and silhouette really judiciously to kind of illuminate the story. Um, the text is written in handwriting and it just feels really accessible, um, to readers and, uh, Vanessa, the kind of sunnier sibling is doing what she can to make her sister kind of snap, not snap out of her bad mood, but kind of work through her bad mood. And she uses her work as an artist in order to kind of create a space that Virginia imagines as being a place where she will feel better. And so to get together, they kind of process that bad mood and get to the other side of it. Um, and it's just really gorgeous and um, it's a really great access point for folks that want to talk about kind of emotion and mood and then also um, talk more seriously about kind of depression and those sorts of feelings and what what can help and what just simply can't. Yeah, that's. I think that's really helpful as even like as an adult who my wife suffers from um, severe depression and anxiety, like I think that was something that I struggled with where I was like, what is helpful? What isn't helpful? And I think that for kids especially, that's, I think we think about depression a lot as something that like adults deal with and kids don't deal with. And whether like, first of all, it's not true. Kids can um, have depression, but also they can have people in their lives who have depression. Um, And so I think it is helpful to have a resource like that. 
Absolutely. And this is one of the titles that we featured in our August um, shift book box, which which focused on the experience of depression for children and families. I love that. Um, I love that. Just a side, side note was during our research that month, reading actually a book as well that you suggested, Seth, The Princess in the Fog, um, and the Virginia Woolf book, and another book that we're featuring. Um, my son was, as a child who has several adults in his life who experienced depression or other um, anxiety disorders, um, not other anxiety, anxiety disorders and or depression or combination thereof, um, was so obsessed with these books. It was like one of them went back to the library and he's like, can we read that story again about the dad, the sad daddy? And just like, have, like having that reflection was Aww. like, really profound for him in a way that was really surprising to me. I was like, oh, I didn't even necessarily know he had the perception that those stories would be meaningful to him. Um, and just like, I mean, of course, it shouldn't have been a surprise. But yeah. Oh, that's so amazing. Yeah, the, the Princess and the Fog is one of my favorites for that. And I especially, I think my favorite thing about that book is at, that at the end, like um, this character sort of develops all of these tools to help them, like whether it's talking to friends or taking medication or all of these different things. Um, they, at the end, it's like, oh, the depression didn't just magically go away. It's just that now they have the tools so that next time when it comes, they know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Right. And I think that my my only room to grow for Virginia Woolf would be um, that it doesn't kind of have an epilogue Mm -hmm. that indicates that, that, I mean, those who know the story of Virginia Woolf um, herself would understand that, but that there isn't, I did like that about the princess Mm -hmm. in the fog, that it, that it acknowledges that this is not, and then the mood was lifted and, you know, happily ever after, um, so that would be my only, I, you know, my wish for just a tiny little epilogue in this story. But otherwise, the story is practically perfect. It's it's quite quite beautifully practically done. perfect. Is a good alliteration. I like that. I wonder um, is Virginia Woolf an own voices book, Rebecca? I don't think that I got deeply into the research about that. Um, Keo, I think that it's more of you know, I I. I Sauce, I we can link to some interviews in the show notes, but um, in my research, I did not see anything from Keo McClear that that she is someone who experiences depression. I think that she was more drawn to um, tell the story because of the like her love mm. of Virginia Woolf as as a writer, and then seeing the op- she's um, Keo. Um, McClear is kind of an academic and an essayist and a novelist as well. And I think that she wanted to, um, she saw a gap in the industry yeah. like we have. She saw a gap where there, are, she, I loved, um, she acknowledged the works of um, Maurice Sendak um, and others as kind of tackling um, issues of depression in kind of a metaphorical way. And she saw herself kind of adding to that body of literature. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's kind of related to what we were talking about earlier about what inspired us um, individually to start our projects was seeing that that gap and that need and wanting to provide uh, to provide that. Well, anyway, 
thank you both so, so much for being here. Um, I'm super excited for this new segment and I can't wait till next week. And thank you to all of our listeners, of course. Um, we're just really excited to be able to give you this new content and we hope you enjoy it. All right, bye-bye. We need to record a new ad for Up for Discussion. What should we tell people? Tell them we're an emotionally honest comedy podcast. Great! What does that mean? It means we're not afraid to get vulnerable, explore the human side of comedy, and try to become better people along the way. And we make poop jokes. So many poop jokes! With tons of awesome guests like Hank Green, Carrie Poppy, and Cecil Baldwin. Yeah, and poop jokes! The Up for Discussion podcast, available on the Up for Network and wherever fine podcasts are sold. Hi, I'm Tefera Jemian, one of the hosts of Yeah, a podcast on the Upford Network. We're talking about young adult literature, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what the YA genre can teach us at any age. Join me and my co-host, Hannah Bailey, as we talk about friendships, dating, family relationships, sexuality, experiences of queerness, body politics, and more through the lens of our favorite YA novels, as well as books we're just discovering. The Yeah! Podcast, available through the Upford Network and on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited.